0: Tonight, the fruit of the spirit that we're going to talk about is the fruit of peace. Um, Now, this is a word that we've heard a lot Uh, recently. We've heard a lot about peaceful and non-peaceful protests. Um, By now, you've probably heard the protest chant or seen the sign that says, no justice, no peace. Um, As we've taken our kids downtown to participate in some of these demonstrations and protests over the past couple of weeks, they've kind of attached themselves to different chants. So the one that they like the most and the one that they say the most is Black Lives Matter um my daughter mia feels really seen and loved by that one um if for those of you who don't know my daughter mia is black um uh my daughter lucy who's white um loves to make that specific and make it specifically about her sisters so sometimes you can hear her saying um my black sisters matter um it's been really cool to see them learn how to participate in these things but the one uh one of the chants that they become most familiar with and that they maybe i think they probably learned first was no justice no peace I showed this This showed in this video of my wife um, uh, participating in a protest. She was chanting this particular line, and they had a million questions, of course. And by the time I finished answering all their questions, they were marching around the house with their fists in the air saying, no justice, no peace. It's become a familiar thing in our household. No justice, no peace is a quid pro quo statement. Until you give us justice, we won't give you peace or we won't allow for peace. It's a transactional agreement wherein one party promises something and the other party promises something in return. If you do this, I'll do that. If you give me this, I'll give you that. We became familiar with this quid pro quo phrase when we became Latin scholars overnight throughout the uh, Trump impeachment, uh, which was by the way, like only a few months ago, it was in February of 2020 that the Senate acquitted him, um, which is wild for me to think about the timeline. Uh, But we became familiar with this kind of transactional statement. But like anything else, the definition of something is really important in pursuing it, especially if we're going to walk around and say that we're going to withhold that thing until we see something else. You can't withhold something that you can't define. So what is peace? What is this thing that protesters are saying they're withholding until they see justice? Safety and peace are nearly synonymous in a lot of instances. Maybe for you, that's the way you understand peace. Another thing that we oftentimes attach to peace is rest or sometimes even laziness. Like there's no peace in our lives until we are calm or we don't have any responsibilities. Sometimes apathy and peace get uh, mixed together and we can't tell the difference between the two. That's how we often understand peace. But perhaps peace is something more complex than that. I wonder if there's more to peace than simply nothingness or the absence of responsibility. Perhaps peace is more about freedom than safety. Malcolm X said, You can't separate peace from freedom because no one can have peace until he has freedom. This certainly seems to be aligned with the various narratives of the Bible, as well as various New Testament authors. For God's people to have peace was to be free from Egypt. In fact, one of the central themes of the Old Testament, and by some accounts, the central characteristic of God himself, is this Hebrew word, shalom. It's a word that Christians are familiar with most of the time. In its simplest form, shalom means peace but upon further explanation or exploration you'll find that shalom means something more than peace it means some sort of peace that we rarely consider shalom is wholeness shalom is the thing that was lost when sin became a reality in the world shalom is the thing that god is working things back toward it's the end game if you will of god and his people if you're ever to answer the question what is heaven well, for most of us, we would talk about maybe some sort of perfection or maybe even some sort of comfort or affluence. But really what we see in the Bible about heaven is that it is shalom or wholeness, a reality devoid of sin and complete with peace. Shalom is a freedom from all that ensnares and entangles us. In the New Testament, peace and freedom are often equated as well. For God's people to experience peace is to be free from anxiety, free from anxiety, Jesus taught about a way or a path that was free from oppression from the empire, free from the moralism or legalism of the prevailing religions of the day, and free from the uncertainty about the future. Freedom and peace seem to go hand in hand, even in the biblical narrative. But the fight for freedom does not come easily, whether it's freedom from addiction, freedom from depression, freedom from poverty, freedom from mental illness, freedom from chronic pain or from affluence or from apathy. It's going to take work, and it's going to feel a lot like the opposite of peace sometimes. If freedom and peace are the same, or they're at least inseparable, then we cannot pursue peace without struggle. Struggle and sometimes even suffering is embedded in the pursuit of peace if, in fact, freedom and peace are the same or even similar. This idea reminds me of how James talks about joy, which is another fruit of the Spirit. Joy and peace, I I think as well, is forged in challenge and struggle and even suffering. In short, peace doesn't always come about through peacefulness. Oftentimes, peace is accomplished through agitation, interruption, disruption, change, pivot, growth, development, confession, repentance, discipline, and lament. These things are hard, and these things don't always feel like peace when you're in them. You can probably think of a time when you had to pursue peace or you chose to pursue peace, but it didn't feel peaceful at all. Paul writes here that that peace is a fruit of the Spirit meaning that it is a characteristic or experience that God, the spirit of God produces in and through us, the people of God. I want to take a quick look at another passage where we see the word peace. It's well known to you because you studied it throughout the season of Lent. In Matthew chapter five, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Peacemakers are blessed. Those who make peace or create peace or pursue peace are blessed. Jesus praises and applauds this thing. But how do we go about this? How do we go about this peacemaking that Jesus refers to? It's really interesting to me to use Jesus as a model for how we can and should interact with these things. It's also really interesting to me the way that a lot of people will use Jesus' model to support different ideologies or values that they simply hold. It's interesting to me how many people will use Jesus' teaching or actions to justify war or aggression of various kinds, but they would never use those same teachings or actions to justify social or political agitation or unrest. Interestingly enough, Jesus never goes to war, never starts a war, he never openly condones war or anything, really any kind of violence at all, but he absolutely created civil unrest. He absolutely perpetuated an unsettling unsettling ripple effect everywhere he went this came to a boiling point. This agitation, this problematic upsetting that he participated in was actually the thing that got him killed. He started a movement by being an agitator. Now, I'm kind of making it sound like Jesus is like an internet troll, and that's not at all what I mean. I think he was deliberate and calculated and strategic. I don't think he was just always trying to upset things, but that was definitely one of the things that he did. There's this great example. um, There's lots of examples, but I think there's this one particular example um, in Matthew 21 that, that I find really fascinating. In this particular story, there's a bunch of people gathered in a temple for like some sort of farmer's market or something. And Jesus walks in and he's upset by the misappropriation of the utility of that place. The temple isn't for profit. And so he flips over a bunch of tables that had merchandise on them and money. He yells, he raises a voice at everybody for treating that place of worship as a place to make a profit. He goes in and he acts with passion and protests, and he alters the property of other people. He doesn't care at all what they think. He doesn't really care at all how this is gonna be interpreted. He wants to make a point and he wants to agitate things in order to bring about peace in that place. People will use that story to talk about why it's okay to be violent if necessary or aggressive, but they would never cite it in the defense of people in our streets every night in our city. It's interesting how choosy we become when we look at Jesus as a model. So while I have you uncomfortable on this particular interpretation, and I'm sure that some of you are, and that's completely fine, I'm just going to keep going, okay? Uh, What was happening in this temple story? Well, the people in the temple were misappropriating that place. They were using it inappropriately. They were not using its power or its authority or its utility uh, uh, properly. So Jesus goes in and he messes some things up, and he makes an important point about how temples are supposed to be used. Now, for centuries, there has been misuse of power by our police, among other institutions, by the way, and there's been a misappropriation of authority and utility, and it seems right to me that people are out there taking their cues from Jesus and making a scene, bringing about attention to a misappropriation of utility in order to bring about peace, agitating, if you will. I'm sure you can think of lots of other instances where disruption and agitation are necessary in order to bring about an established peace. Protests in our city is certainly not the only example by a long shot, but it's pertinent because it's happening all over the world right now. And a lot of you have even participated in that. And I want you to know that I think you're doing something that Jesus was himself doing. My point is this. Jesus was a proponent for peace. He even blesses those who make peace and practice peace but he also practiced peace in a way or brought about peace in a way that required agitation and unrest. There's this priest named Oscar Romero that has a beautiful quote about this. He said, a church that doesn't provoke any crises, a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word of God that doesn't, uh, that, that doesn't get under anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of society in which it's being proclaimed. What gospel is that? I found this to be really moving and important for me. It's actually been a bit of a rally cry for me over the past few weeks because it reminds me that agitation, protest, upsetting, and unsettling, these are included in the way of Jesus and must be factored in if we are to pursue this particular fruit of the Spirit. But that's not all there is to say about peace. Peace is not just this external thing that we pursue for other people or even pursue for ourselves um, in the world around us. Sometimes it's something that has to be internally embraced first. Sometimes it's something that we have to experience on the inside before we're able to experience it externally. I want you to think for just a minute about how you have felt internally throughout this pandemic and this season of protest. My guess is that peace has not been the dominant characteristic of your soul during this time. My guess is you've experienced a lot of internal chaos. Well, like external peace, internal peace also requires interruption and disruption, it requires a grounding and reminding of who we are and in whom we are found. This is how inner chaos comes about. And, and I think it's important to note the opposite of what we're, what we're shooting for. Inner chaos often results from believing something about yourself that simply isn't true and then believing it over and over again and repeating it to yourself on repeat. And, and, and therefore, it kind of gets ingrained in who you are. For instance, if you've believed any of these lies about yourself, you need to be successful in order to matter. You need to prove yourself worthy in order to be important. You need to be good or morally right in order for God to love you. When lies like these are played over and over again in our minds and in our souls, we experience internal chaos and the peace of Christ, that easy yoke that he offered us is not within us. Yet Jesus said to his people, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it to you, um, Uh, Let let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus offers this unique peace. It's not the same peace that we would find elsewhere. It's unique, it's different, it's specific to him. I believe it's the same peace that's brought about by the Spirit of God. It's not an excuse for apathy or superiority. It doesn't fall into our lap or come about without work and turmoil. The peace of the Spirit is often hard fought and hard won. It's something that we have to fight for both internally and externally. I'm going to end this really quickly with just by giving you a couple of practices. These are practices that I found to be meaningful to myself, um, and there are folks in our church who have found these practices to be meaningful as well. I'll start with a practice for acquiring or experiencing internal peace. I want to be really careful here to note that this is an oversimplification of how to pursue internal peace. If your world, internal world is in chaos, these things are not a quick fix, but they're a start in the right direction. What I'd like to recommend to you tonight is that you participate in something called a breath prayer. Uh, These are prayers that I pray on a regular basis. They're really short, so they're easy to memorize, and they're something you can pray in one breath. Um, You'll be really familiar with some of these because these have made it into the prayers of the people and your prayers for lament that you pray, pray on a regular basis. The first breath prayer I recommend is Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. I keep this one locked and loaded in my mind. Because honestly, things are happening at such a fast pace in the world around us and causing us to experience so much strife and frustration and lament. Having something to say, even as simple as Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, has been really meaningful to me and has brought me a lot of peace. Second, whenever I learn of something that God says about me, whether I believe it or not, I simply say, May it be unto me as you have said. May it be unto me as you have said. You might recognize this from Jesus' mother, Mary. This teenage girl who was probably scared stiff when an angel appeared to her and said, you know, you're going to give birth to Jesus. And she says, may it be unto me as you have said. Takes a tremendous amount of courage. And yet I think it brings about the reality of that situation in our lives. Lastly, a simple prayer of gratitude. God, I'm grateful for. God, I'm grateful for. Being able to fill in that blank is really important. These breath prayers help us stay grounded and remind ourselves of what's true about us and what's true about God. And it brings about that fruit of peace in our our internal world. The second practice, I'll end with this really quickly, comes from a quote from Frederick Douglass. He said, I prayed for freedom for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. I prayed for freedom for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. In short, what he's saying is until I went out and did something, until I went out and was that agitator, until I went out and I was that demonstrator that said something has to change, something has to be altered, nothing actually came about. That peace was never, that freedom, that peace was never brought about until he was going to pray with his legs. Now, for that doesn't mean going out and being a part of a protest for everyone. In fact, I would say a minority in our church um, has been participating in the actual physical presence of these protests. The pandemic alone has made it really difficult for a lot of people to be a part of that. But there are a lot of ways for you to pray with your legs. There are a lot of ways for you to go and be an agitator in your community, in your neighborhood. Start with right where you live. What's happening in North Aurora that you can change? How can you bring about peace there? And what would it take? For you to pray with your legs and bring that about, the fruit of the the fruit of peace that the Spirit is producing in and through us is hard fought and hard won. It requires an ability to see and know ourselves and receive the love that God has for us, and it requires uh, the ability to see the opportunities to agitate and initiate change in the world around us. Listen, I'll, I'll let me just mention this really quickly. It's okay if the fruit of the Spirit comes out kind of bruised and wonky for you. It's okay if you stumble your way through practicing some of this this fruit. Nobody's expecting you to get it right, right away. Um, If we're to pursue peace, whether it's internal or external, it's not going to be the sort of thing that we just wake up one day and know how to do. We've got to try some things first. So it's okay to to stumble your way through this, clumsily um, even. That's okay. I would rather us do that as followers of the way of Jesus than to simply ignore some of the needs around us or some of the needs within us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for peace uh, among the people of East Colfax. Um, I pray that their souls would experience peace, whether it's through a rootedness and groundedness um, in the things that are true about them, or maybe maybe it's a friend or a family member that member that comes alongside them and helps them understand the peace that they can have inside. God, I also pray for peace in the community of East Colfax, that North Aurora would experience the peace. Um, that I think only sometimes agitation or challenge can bring. And I pray that you would mobilize and you would encourage this church to do and be exactly that, right where they live, work, and play. Um, We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.